Merry Christmas. That's eh, not too early. Happy Thanksgiving. It's gone. So now it's Christmas time. And one of the things I love about Christmas is the festivities around gifts. I mean, just look at this amazing gift that I wrapped. Beautiful, isn't it? But here's the reality. I, I didn't wrap it. You see, it's basically a box with a lid that has the decorations already on it. So all one has to do is to put the lid, make the box, put the lid on it, but it looks like you did a marvelous job. And in many ways, that's what Christmas is. Christmas is about the festivities. It's about the joy, the merriment. It's about the excitement. And who wants to put a downer in that? Who wants to be the Scrooge at Christmas time of all times? And that's why the majority of churches focus upon those stories that can give us that sense of joy and love and all that stuff, right? Except there's a story in the Gospel of Luke that we continue to ignore. Excuse me, that's in the Gospel of Matthew. That we continue to ignore. It's not a nice story. But yet, at Christmas time, we want our worship service rated G. Maybe, maybe PG, but that's it. No PG 13, no rated R. But yet, in the midst of this gospel, we find a rated R story. It's atrocious, it's terrible. And joining me this morning to talk about it is my partner, Janelle. You look festive morning. this morning. I'm all about Christmas now. Are you? I'm in the spirit. Yeah, I saw on uh, Facebook that you that you decorated your house. That was not my feed. My house doesn't. <laughs> but it says. Yet. But it said. It said. Um, Tis the season, and you had these weird things on your head that look Christmassy. That was not at my house. That was a parade. I went to a parade. Oh. <laughs> But what fun. were those funny things on your head? They were Santa. Little Santa thing-or-doers. Little Santa thing-or-doers. Yes. And where can that people, if people want to know where they can buy one of these thing-or-doers, <laughs> where can they get one of those, Janelle? <laughs> I'm not sure, <laughs> I It was a gift. It was a gift. Mm -hmm. So do you still wrap your presents do, yourself, or do you do the uh, the old box lid uh, or... I'm a gift bag person, personally. <laughs> so you even don't even put the box together. You just no. buy a bag, put the gift in there. I used to. But and no then, more. No, no. It's, I'm so busy. Oh. I work doing podcasts and church services. I don't have time for that. You don't have time. So your poor kids, they, what are they missing out on? Right. So you've heard the story of Herod. Have you ever heard a sermon about it? I can't say that I have. Not completely about him. Yeah. No, just his, his role in the story. Right. And I think that you're, you're probably spot on. I think the majority of people have not heard a sermon about King, from King Herod mm -mm. in his perspective. And Bill Nelson wrote one back in the 1980s, really? early 1980s. He wrote a sermon, and mm -hmm. it was called King Herod. Mm -hmm. And this sermon I have had a real challenge with. Really? Yeah, um, he, he doesn't probably deal with the story of King Herod as much as I would have. 
And in oh. fact, at our regular service, our uh, traditional service, mm -hmm. I'm going to spend a lot more time. But what I'm going to do instead this morning mm -hmm. is kind of give you a summary during the monologue of what he wrote. Okay. And then after that, mm -hmm. we'll discuss and Great. see if it makes sense any for today. All right. I'm looking forward to it. All right. So we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. King Herod. Now that was one bad boy. This man, you could put him in the in the category with Hitler and Stalin. These are men who thrived on violence. It's anything in the least little bit upset them, violence was the answer. Now, Herod was the king of the Jews. He had some Jewish blood within him. And Herod wasn't just some puppet king. He actually founded a dynasty that lasted 100 years, some 30 years before Jesus was born to the time when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. It was during that period of time that the Herodian Empire existed. They were, they were people with power, but not only with power, they were people that were not afraid to do whatever they had to to maintain that power. In fact, Herod was known for his ruthlessness. It's sad the amount of violence that this man inflicted. If you somehow upset him, if you became a threat, he took you out. And it didn't matter if you were male or female. In fact, he even killed the wife that he supposedly loved. This was a man who was not afraid to maintain power by inflicting pain and murder on other people. So that's why in the Gospel of Matthew, we hear this story about Herod, and he hears of a possible threat. Another Jew, a Jew young baby boy who is born, and the possibility that this young baby boy, that he was prophesied to someday become the king of the Jews. So Herod realizes that this is another threat and decides to off this little boy. But the problem is he doesn't know who the little boy is for sure. So Herod decides, hey, why don't we just kill all the baby boys? If you kill them all, I'm sure I'm going to get him. But yet in the middle of this story, we find God intervening. Now, what in the world does Herod have to do with us today? I don't think the majority of you who are listening are Herod type of people. You're probably not mass murderers. You're probably not rife with great power. So what in the world does King Herod have to do with us, especially during this Christmas season? Well, according to Bill Nelson, when we look at the life of Herod, we can actually see elements of ourselves in that. If we look close enough, or if we're honest enough with ourselves, we will be able to see traits that were in King Herod that are also in us. 
So as you listen to these three traits, reflect upon in your mind in any way if these exist within you. The first one, that trait of helplessness. Now, how in the world can Herod be seen as being helpless? And again, this is a man who has extreme power, but it's also a man who is extremely afraid. In some ways, you could say he was afraid of his shadow because anything that looked as a possible threat, he wanted to eliminate. Even a baby boy, he saw, according to the story, as a possible threat. I wonder how many of us have that sense of helplessness, this sense of feeling like we're not in control. It happens throughout our lives. For example, those of individuals who are of old age, there's a sense of helplessness, not being able to do the things for yourself that you used to be able to do, relying upon other people. I've heard many stories about individuals who have to give up driving. Probably one of the most difficult things for people to do and you become more dependent upon others. A real sense of helplessness. When you lose your employment, when you lose your job, there's this period of time between the time that you lost your job and trying to find a job, that in-between time can create a lot of self-doubt and a lot of sense of helplessness. Relying upon someone else to look at your resume and hire you. It can leave you feeling pretty vulnerable an accident, an illness, those that affect our health, those also can have dramatic impact and make us feel helpless. But I think the one that, when I look at this story, that really hits me is this sense of helplessness when it comes to God. I think the majority of Christians believe that God is all-powerful, that God can do anything. But yet in this story, God chooses not to save all the little baby boys. The only one that he's interested in saving, according to the story, is Jesus. In fact, the story says that he sends an angel to tell Joseph to forewarn him to take his son and flee. But yet when Jesus, when it comes to the other fathers, he's quiet. He doesn't say a word. And because he, according to the story, sends his son, it is his son that ends up causing the death of all these other little baby boys. You get a picture of a God who either has his hands tied and is, can't do anything, or a God who is passive and chooses not to do anything. So this picture of helplessness, not is not only an emotion we can feel, but at times I imagine that if we allow ourselves to go there, we can imagine that perhaps God is helpless. The second trait that Nelson talks about is a fear of the unknown, a fear of the future. And again, Herod was always this tentativeness of how long would he maintain power? He was trying to keep the people happy so there wouldn't be an insurrection. He was trying to keep the Romans happy so they wouldn't come in and dismiss him. So he was continually worried about the future, this feeling of uncertainty. I feel that way right now. I don't know about you, but the Omicron v variant of COVID-19 that is out now, 
There's so much we don't know about it. And we're hearing a variety of messages coming from all sorts of different directions. Vaccinated, unvaccinated, booster, no booster, it doesn't matter. Because there's this unknown that is hanging out there. And that can create a sense of fear. The other one that I've experienced is inflation. On the way here this morning, I stopped and got gas. I'm paying $1.50, $1.25 more than I did just six months ago. Prices continue to rise. Here in Phoenix, the cost of, of homes, the cost of rentals are continuing to spiral upward. And you wonder how much longer can this inflation continue to grow? And then when you look at the global sphere, you think about China. Recently, I read an article that exposed me to the idea that our military is planning in ways to confront a possible threat coming from China. Now, is that speculation? Maybe, maybe not. But again, it's this underlying fear and this sense of not knowing what is in the future. That was a trait that was true with Herod, and it's one that I also find in my own life. And then finally, the last trait, and that is a fear of oneself. Now, how in the world can you be afraid of yourself? If you're not comfortable in your own skin, if you're not, if you're not comfortable with who you are, even your shadow self, then you're probably always worrying about what other people think of you as well as being afraid of others and what they may do to you. And we see this in the life of Herod. And more than likely, you and I have that same fear, the fear of not knowing who we really are. Now, I don't even know if that's possible, if we can know our true selves. Perhaps it is a journey that takes a lifetime and more. James McKinner recently observed that he says, this is the real journey a person makes, and that is to find themselves. If they fail in this, it doesn't matter what else they find. Money, position, fame, many loves, revenge are all of little consequence. And then at the end of life, when the tickets are collected at the end of the ride, they are tossed into a bin marked failure. But if a person can find themselves, then they have found a mansion which they can inhabit with dignity all the days of their lives. Think of that. Finding a true sense of who you are. Being comfortable so that when threats come from external, outside of ourselves, doesn't mean they don't bother us, but they don't have such a deep impact and create turmoil within our lives. Alice in Wonderland. Remember what happens? Alice falls down this fateful hole, and there she encounters a large blue caterpillar. And the caterpillar is asked, who are you? And listen to how Alice replies. I, I hardly know, sir, just at present at least. 
I know who I was when I got up this morning, but I think I must have changed several times since then. Now, of course, that's what the story of Alice is all about. A small girl discovering through many changes who she is as she journeys into this brand new world. The reality is that each and every one of us are on such a journey. Who we thought we were in the past and who we will be in the future, it's always changing. Because we continue to evolve, which means that we continue to have to be comfortable with where we are right now and open to what we might become. So these are three traits that Bill Nelson fought, felt, excuse me, Bill Nelson found within King Herod and believes that they are also present in our lives today. We're going to take a short break now. And when we come back, we're going to look at these three. And in particular, Janelle and I, and we encourage you also, those of you who are listening, either here live or on the podcast or watching this online, that you will think about the helplessness of God. Why is it that God did not stop Herod from following out his atrocious plans? Think about that. We'll be right back. So my first question for you is, why would you choose to ruin my Christmas this year? <laughs> Did I do something wrong? Yeah. You know, I, I, I go, again, go back to that introduction. I think we want Christmas to be a G-rated, from our uh -huh. church services to what, I mean, Hallmark. Yes, they have all channels, yeah, all Christmas movies. To make you feel good and make and you, you cry. And you brought this gift today, and I thought, yeah, we're in the spirit. Boom. Agree. And what? I think I think we whitewash a lot of the Christmas story. Mm-hmm. And we I mean, even it's amazing. We take Matthew and Luke. Okay. The two story, the two gospels that contain the story of Jesus' birth. Mm -hmm. And we bring them together so that we can have these wonderful pageants at churches. 
Yeah. But yet they're two completely different stories, two gospels that l existed apart from each other for some time. Right. We like to have everything like this gift, all wrapped up nice and neat, but the reality is yes. the birth of Jesus, according to the gospels, mm -hmm. was all, not all nice and neat. So why have we warped it then into this Linus... Do you remember his monologue in Charlie Brown Christmas? No. Oh, didn't you watch it? I may <clears throat> have, but it didn't... Every year. You know, there's not a lot of room in my brain. <clears throat> and so it decides, <laughs> it decides what it's going to keep and what it's going to dismiss. And I think Linus was one of those that probably kicked out. He... No, he shouldn't have. He was quoting scripture. He was reading the story. And? And it was beautiful. His little voice reading off... I'm, I'm not sure what the scripture verse was, but... That's what Christmas is for me. It's all these nice little things. Mm -hmm. And I went to a parade last night. I'm on a holiday high, and I walk in here, and, and you, you get just blasted with this. Ruined it. Yeah. Okay. But the reality is, Why? Janelle, this Christmas season, just like Christmas seasons in the past, yeah, are not always joy and filled with merriment for the for a lot of people. True. That I mean, is true. This month. Mm -hmm. Someone's some family is going to experience, or families are going to experience a death. True, and that death may be terrible. Yeah, um, it may be the snuffing out of a young life. These are the things I think that why some people call it a blue Christmas, because they find it so difficult that to be able to celebrate and be in this joyful spirit when there's still terrible things happening. The reality is we're continuing to see the slaughter of innocents, not mm -hmm. only around Christmas time, but throughout the year. So I have a comment here. Yes. What do you think about this? Okay. Why do we need God or something else to know everything? Why doesn't religion just teach us how to be in the space of the unknown? That's a great comment. Right? I think a lot of reasons is that trait that we talked about, and that's the fear of the future. Mm -hmm. Fear of not being in control. If you don't have control of your own life, if you feel like you're out of control and you, need, and you desire control, and you're an adult. See, as a kid, right, you have your parents. Right. And your parents are in control. And as much as you might not like that, there's also the side of, I think, a lot of children that find a great deal of security in that. Mm -hmm. And as we get older, as adults, we don't rely on our parents as much. So I think a lot of adults turn to God. Yes, agreed. And then once you've turned to God, then God is in control. But the mm -hmm. problem is these stories mm -hmm. give us a picture of God that if we read them literally and read them as historical, factual events. True. Oh, man, they create all sorts of... So it's a mythical story. I, there are those that believe that it is historic, a historical event, mm -hmm. and there's others who believe that it is a myth. And one of the reasons why they do that is because, number one, the story talks about uh, the death of these children. And in, Matthew seems to make a connection between Jesus mm -hmm. and Moses. Right. Oh, yeah. And of so course. Jesus becomes a, a second type of Moses. And just mm -hmm. like 
the Pharaoh was afraid of the Hebrews as they were continuing to grow yes. and become this large population he'd have to deal with. You have a story of where he goes in mm -hmm. and he kills all the baby boys and Moses yes. miraculously survives. Because he's in the basket in the river. Exactly. And so then you have this story. That's why some people think that this is a myth. The other mm. thing is Josephus, who is probably one of the historians that we would expect who was alive around this time, mm -hmm. he doesn't mention this. Doesn't mention the which death, baby death. The death of King, what King Herod imposes. The slaughter of the innocents. And here, Janelle, is where I find it fascinating. Okay, why? Some people think that the reason why Josephus doesn't mention it is because the text says that he went to destroy the babies in Bethlehem and the surrounding area. Mm -hmm. So some people think that Bethlehem maybe only had a couple hundred people. Okay. So maybe five to 20 baby boys were killed. Oh. And it almost, they almost excuse this slaughter because right. there was such a large number on it. Hmm. Interesting. But what's interesting is you have the, the celebration of the slaughter of the innocents that as a memorial within the Catholic Church, and they estimate as many as 14,000. Oh. It's a huge difference. That's a huge difference. So again, I think we so want this idea. So why blow it up? Yeah, I think we want this idea of God, going back to that comment, we want God in control. Mm-hmm. And I think this person's comment's spot on. Why, why can't we value religion Mm -hmm. If we can leave God just simply as a mystery. So here's another comment. Yes. A question. So then how do pastors look at the Bible in a contemporary text? How do we interpret the ancient text for contemporary times while hopefully learning from the good and the bad of the ancient text? You have a tough job, don't you? <laughs> that's, a that's, a, that's a great question. Right. I mean, it's a tough question to answer. <clears throat> I think the vast majority of Christian ministers uh, probably tend to read the Bible as historically accurate. Mm -hmm. Okay. And when you do that, it is going to create all sorts of hoops that you're going to have to manage to get yourself through. <laughs> okay. For those who Hoop jumping. Yeah. For those who choose to take the text seriously and when required uh -huh. to believe in or accept the certain things as historical. For example, uh, there in scholarship there is what is called minimalist, people that believe very little. Mm. Some even believe that nothing no part of the Bible was written until the time of the Babylonian exile. Wow. I mean that's way, way late. Why, right? And therefore, they don't believe in a King David. They don't believe in... Yeah. So they, they're called minimalist. Hmm. And all of the history, all the books of the Bible were actually, they believe, written during this period of time. Yeah. So it's all fictitious. Then there are individuals, more like myself, who believe in a literal Israel, the Hebrews. Yeah. And believe that there may have been a small group of people that came out of Egypt rather than this humongous mass of people. Yeah. So I think you, you can still take the Bible and look at it having historical reference points. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the details of the story, yeah. that's when I think we have to be able to look at that and say, this is what these people believed. 
This right. is what the stories they were trying to tell. And then we look at ourselves today and ask ourselves, is this something we agree with or disagree with? So to believe that King Herod actually killed these, these innocent children, that takes you one, down one path. To believe that this is a story and the author is using it for an intended purpose, mm -hmm. then you read it in a different light. And that, I was just, I read something yesterday, the intended purpose might have been to show the dark side of us, of humanity. It, it serves contrast. Right. And shows us what we're capable of. Yeah. And the sin of that. And, and I think that that is probably a really good way of looking at it. However, here's where I find a challenge. And I want to ask those who are here with us, mm -hmm. as well as those who are watching and either live or listening at a later time. Are you comfortable with this image of God? That God will save Jesus, mm -hmm. but basically leave everyone alone and let them die. And even if you take it, the story as a myth, you still have this picture of God that the writer is comfortable putting out there. Think about that. We're going to take a short break. You can respond live. If you're here with us live or watching live, you can respond in text. I would love to hear your answers to that question. We'll be right back. Turn off my mic. Sorry. We're back. <laughs> I was. <laughs> what were you doing? <laughs> I was checking the, the feeds. Ah. See if we had any questions. Sorry. <laughs> so you're wanting to know if we think that God is helpless over humanity? Yeah. The idea being that why doesn't one author I I read fascinating. He said, mm. "How would Jesus if, if you take this as a he." he literal historical event. How would Jesus have felt when he heard about it? The slaughter of the innocents. Yeah. Huh. That he, as a little boy, right. is rescued, but yet his God mm -hmm. allows his friends, perhaps his cousins, to be killed. That's an interesting question. And it's question. all because of him. <laughs> They were know. after him. How, how would Jesus have lived with that? How would you live with this idea that this God saves you, yeah. but wipes out everyone else? I mean, you're talking about having PTSD and <laughs> survivor remorse. Maybe. <clears throat> but he did have, a, don't you think he had a sense of what this was really all about? What's it all about? You're going to, his coming to die for people is only possible by having all these babies killed first. You have to have all the babies killed so he survives. But it was so political back then with the Roman Empire. It's, so maybe that was, and the Bible wasn't written at that time. So. But again, it's the story that we continue to tell that I think is troubling. Is be, yeah. If we take it literal. Yeah, if you go literal on so, it. Right. So that goes back to my question. Even if it's not literal, are we comfortable with this image of God? 
Well, I don't know. I mean, we um, we buy into the the fact that there was nobody at the inn, and that he was born in a major. I mean, well, who buys? Maybe into we're it? buying into that. Who buys into <clears throat> it? I think there's a lot of people that look at these these stories mm -hmm. with a, a rich truth and purpose within them, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that they are as historical events and factual. True. And that creates right. a lot of disharmony for people. It does. <laughs> but again, I think there's this tension, Janelle, that I see between wanting to believe all this and believe in a God who is in control, a God who will see everything through, versus on the other side, you have this image of God who comes across like not a very loving, caring person mm -hmm. unless you're on God's side. If you're on God's side, you're good to go. But if you're not on God's side, ooh, watch out. Watch out. So then it really just comes down to theodicy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It always does. We always get to this, yeah, well, don't we? It's a problem that the ancients, as we evolved as into homo sapiens, that they were trying to deal with. Mm-hmm. And then we read in the early earliest books of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, that's what they're dealing Job, one of the older books that we find, is dealing with this problem of evil. How, why do bad things happen to good people? And we look to God at, for an answer. And some people don't like the answer. True. I have a comment. Yeah. I'm going piggybacking on what we're talking about. Are you saying that Jesus had this enormous ego to be okay with what Herod did? No, I'm not. Okay. I don't know if Jesus was okay with it or not. Because number one, I don't think it actually <laughs> literally happened. But, it, but it, if you speculate that mm -hmm. it did happen, then you have, I think this person would, could be, have a really good argument that this idea that God or Jesus, um, yeah, he, he had this special purpose in life and he was special to God and therefore his preservation was utmost importance. So I think, yeah, you could have this picture of Jesus like, I, I'm this special person, I'm the son of God, um, da na 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 you know, you get that feel. <laughs> wow. <Okay. laughs> but why don't you think it really happened? The, this slaughter? Uh -huh. I just don't think there's evidence for it. And then I think also um, external evidence. The only place in the whole Bible that we hear this event is in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, uh, Mark, okay. Luke, or John, or any of the Gospels, Gospel of Thomas, mm -hmm. um, which is well known during this but period of time. But we're talking about a guy who killed, A, his wife. Yes. And, and two relatives kids. and his own two children. children. Yes. Yes. He's capable He's of that. He's ruthless, and he is capable of it. But I think the story that Matthew tells is to draw similarities between not only Moses and Jesus, but Israel and Jesus. Moses, Jesus becomes a second type of Moses, and mm -hmm. Jesus becomes a second type of Israel. He fulfills all of these prophecies, prophecies according to Matthew. In fact, that's why Matthew begins with Yeah, but the, now the, there's a whole nation of, of folks that don't believe the Messiah's even come yet. Right, because they don't accept 
the Gospel of Matthew as being, mm -hmm. they don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. And, and that's, but again, Matthew wants to convince his audience, which we believe to be Jews. Yeah. He wants to convince them that Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. Right. So what better way to do it than have him be the fulfillment of mm -hmm. all of your past? Well, maybe this whole story is about guilt and fear. Like, <laughs> Explain. <laughs> maybe. The whole purpose of this is to, to instill fear and, and guilt in people. I don't see the connection yet. Help me out. <laughs> how how fear, fear and guilt toward themselves, toward others, toward God, what? Well, what, what was the purpose of the writer to put this in there? I mean... Well, I think we don't know. That's what I, I'm I saying. I think we can guess. It may be that it, that was the purpose. Was to make people afraid of God? For control. Possibly. Um, you... But why would you, if you believe that this is your God, mm -hmm. why would you be, why would you be afraid of that God other than to remain loyal to him? But in some ways, this is not a wussy, wimpy God. This is a God who's willing to protect his own. And I think that's where not only Jews in the, in the Hebrews have this sense of this God who does these terrible things. They're okay with that because they're, it's their God. Mm -hmm. And they're God fighting other gods. And I think, to a certain degree, it's a temptation for Christians mm -hmm. to buy into this idea right. that, yeah, terrible things happen, but because terrible things happen, you are going to be okay because God, you are loyal to God. You have committed yourselves to God. You've been saved by Jesus, yeah. and now you are in harmony with God. Now, those people that are not in harmony with God, well, that's a whole different reason why they should be afraid. But isn't it interesting that other religions, I think you mentioned yesterday, the Krishna? Yeah. They Krishna, have these Krishna, same Krishna, stories. When Krishna with the slaughter is, of innocence, yes. when the birth of some the birth of Krishna, or, Yes. In Hindu, the birth of Krishna, there's a death of other children. So this, idea, this genre that's happening in all the religions... That's interesting to me. Yeah. Let me let me re read to you mm. um, a comment that one minister made. He was asked. This one minister was asked, "Why did God allow Herod to kill innocent babies?" Mm -hmm. This is how the individual replied. How? We might as well ask why God didn't stop Hitler, Stalin, or others who have killed many innocent people including babies. The world is reverberating with the results of our culture's sin, and none of us are innocent of sin. God allows, you ready for this? Yeah. God allows mm -hmm. passive, in my opinion, but still active. God allows the natural consequences of sin to be felt so we can be aware that something is radically wrong with humanity so that we can realize our wrong path, repent, and allow him to change us. If God simply erased all pain, which is the result of sin, we would never realize how deadly sin is, and we would never look for his solution. What a picture of God. 
<laughs> that God basically says, I'm going to allow everything, these terrible, I'm going to allow these innocent babies uh-huh. to die. Because then people will know how bad sin is. Right. And these babies didn't do anything wrong. So we have a comment that Christianity is very late to the religious world. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe. What well, is? I mean, when you think about, think about um, the, the Babylonians, you okay. think about the Akkadians, you think about the Canaanites, uh-huh. the Hebrews. Uh-huh. I mean, they, they all had these different ideas of God and gods. Yes. Christianity, 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. Muslims have been around longer yes. than us. Well... So, yeah, I, I would agree with that person that, yeah, we are new. And I think in, that's a great, great comment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Because what it, <laughs> what it hit me is maybe part of what happens to us individuals is we mature. And as we mature, mm-hmm. I had one individual say to me that the greatest form of sanctification, that is becoming a better person, mm-hmm. is age. And as we get older and we have experiences <laughs> in life, our view of things begin to shift. We see things in ways that we couldn't when we were younger. So in, in, according to this person's comment, which I find really fascinating, mm-hmm. is that as Christianity ages, Yeah. Will it continue to morph and change, mm-hmm. or will it die? Ooh. Because if it's not willing to morph and change... Right. It's going to die. I mean, I think one of the biggest areas where we see this is when it comes to science, and especially evolution. Yeah. I mean, how many Christians still do not accept evolution? And you wonder how much longer right. it will be valid if people aren't willing to be honest and, and I think the young people are picking up on that. Yes. <clears throat> and I think it also ties into images of God that because we want to read the Bible a certain way, then we bend over backwards to explain and make sense of a God that maybe no longer works in the 21st century, that image of God. I have another comment. Yep. <clears throat> Christianity was not abolitionist, meaning in the formation of a new thought, Paul had to use language and methods on how we can be relevant. Progressive Christianity perhaps must do the same thing. Yeah. Right. I I saw an article this week. I didn't get a chance to read it. I just saw the headline. But I am going to read it. It's fascinating because just because of the headline. Okay, what? How much did Paul know about the historical Jesus? (laughs) <laughs> if you read Paul's writings, how much does he really tell you about Jesus? Very little. <sighs> so then you begin to wonder, going back to this guy's comment or a woman's comment, uh-huh. you go, read it one more time. Christianity was not abolitionist, meaning in the formation of a new thought, Paul had to use language and methods on how we can be relevant. True. Paul does, however, seem to pull on his Jewish tradition, mm-hmm. but he is willing to morph and experiment and throw out new ideas 
And I think that's where this person is, I can agree with this person, is mm -hmm. we need to continue to do that. For some reason, there's, a, there's elements within Christianity that wants to be stuck. Like, yes. uh, it's the period. It's like when, when we came with a, and made the canon and made a closed mm -hmm. canon, mm -hmm. it's basically, boop, that's it. That's it. Now, what's the beauty is if you look at the Catholic Church, yeah. it allows for tradition mm -hmm. and a continual un unveiling of God. That's really powerful. Now, some people may that not agree me. with that, but, but Catholics have that. Mormons have that with Joseph Smith. He has yeah. a revelation from God. That's true. But yet in the Protestant circles, we, when the, we see the Bible as closed. But even then, we chose to eliminate certain books. Right. Uh, but we're are, studying them now. But that are part of the Catholic Bible, even though they're seen as secondary as far as value, but they're still seen as part of the canon. In the Protestants, we excluded those. And because of that, I think we weren't, like this person said, we're not willing to continue to evolve. And that, to me, is, could be detrimental as we move forward. To the future yeah. of Christianity. Right. Unfortunately, and I think that's what, that's honestly, Janelle, what discourages me. Mm. Is, I see a... So I, you have the trait of fear of the future. Not, yes, no, <laughs> I do. Yeah, I'm just trying to bring it back to no, what Nelson no, I said. Think, I think you're right. There's, there's, yeah, because I see how real, how the value of Christianity has made in my life. Yeah. When I read about the teachings of Jesus mm -hmm. and even the stories, real or not real, but the image that they give of the character Jesus is, is fascinating. Yeah. And I'm afraid that... We, we could lose that if we're not mm -hmm. willing to continue. Because I see more and more and hear of more and more people who are walking away from yeah. Christianity. Yeah. Because they don't, it doesn't work for them anymore. Right. I think it's important that they understand that there's other places mm -hmm. where they can continue to explore. But here's the problem. What? We're exploring now. This is great. Yeah, but this could also be very um, dis disconcerting. Why? Because it calls into question and makes you think about things maybe that aren't comfortable. Just like you said at the very uh, beginning yeah, of the podcast. Yeah, that comment about being uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. And like you said at the beginning of the podcast, right? What? You want Christmas to be... Presents to be nicely wrapped up. <laughs> I think I that's, do. yeah. And I think uh, that's what people it's want. It's the one time a year we seem to come together. And that's what we want about Jesus. So we don't talk about the virgin birth. We don't talk about King Herod. We don't talk mm -hmm. about these things. And doggone it, if you preach about that on Christmas Eve, <laughs> you better have your van packed as a minister because <laughs> right. you're gone. <laughs> well, our time is drawn to a close. Um, in two weeks, we come back mm -hmm. and we do our story on, on Mary. Yes. Yeah. Uh, We're going to delve into the, the story and the, the life, life of, Mary. of Mary. Yeah. Like nobody's ever done that before. Yeah. That one's going to be fun. <laughs> 
Thank you very much for having joined us. Um, for those of you who would like, uh, you can if you're if you're listening to this podcast, uh, this this is you're going to have an opportunity to listen to a, a meditation, uh, that a spiritual way of reflecting. If you're listening live. You may want to come back and, and listen to this at a different time if you're driving your car, if you're in the middle of a gym or whatever you're doing. Uh, but for those of you who are watching live, the, I would encourage you to stay and listen to this guided meditation. But until in two weeks, we'll be back. Next week, we have a closer look. And after that, we will be back and talking about the story of Mary as we make our way forward to Christmas. No matter what you're doing in life, with everything going on, tis the season, but please stay safe out there. Take care. breathing or releasing stress breath. Box breathing, also known as square breathing, is a technique used when taking slow, deep breaths, and it is a powerful stress reliever. It is also called four square breathing. Before you get started, Make sure that you are seated in a comfortable chair with your feet flat on the floor, keeping your hands relaxed on your lap with your palms facing up. Focus on your posture. You should be sitting up straight because this is what will help you take deep breaths. Sitting upright. Slowly exhale through your mouth, getting all the oxygen out of your lungs. Focus on this intention and be conscious of what you're doing. And then begin to inhale slowly and deeply through your nose to the count of four. In this step, count to four very slowly in your head. Feel the air fill your lungs one section at a time until your lungs are completely full and the air moves into your abdomen. Now hold your breath for another slow count of four. Exhale through your mouth for the same slow count of four, expelling the air from your lungs and your abdomen. Be conscious of the feeling of the air leaving your lungs. And when your mind wanders as it will, return to the physical sensation of your box breath. 